Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to Talking Law, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, this is the first episode of a special two-part series with Michael Hutchins of Medano. Michael is an ex-investment banker, professional financial modeler, software developing CEO. How about that for a mouthful? And today, Michael talks to us about the power of using numbers to drive the growth and strategy of your business and the opportunities available for advisors to businesses in relation to this. Michael also introduces us to a new software that they have developed at Medano that makes financial modeling more accessible to small businesses. I really believe in the power of numbers. And I think this episode and the next episode is absolute essential listening for every business. So don't go anywhere. Here we go. listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Thank you, Michael, for joining us again, this time on Talking Law. It was so much fun having you on our Deal Room podcast. I'm really glad you're back again. Welcome on board. Thanks, Joanna. I love it, as you know. So let's let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So today we're talking probably a, about two different areas. Number one, I, I really wanted to get some of the insight that you've got and pass it on to our business listeners here about using numbers to drive growth and strategy. And then maybe we can also talk about, you know, opportunities for advisors to businesses like accountants. But let's circle back and, and start off with this big t- topic, I guess, of using numbers to drive growth and strategy. Where is the opportunity, do you think, Michael, for businesses? I think I think the opportunity is is recognizing that the financial analysis that you're doing isn't just a necessary part of your compliance. It's recognizing that it's it's a it's a huge part of getting things done and growing. And I mean, we've been building financial models for companies for well, we started. I mean, in investment banking back in in 1999, but we started building strategic planning models for companies back from 2002. And what we've seen over the last 15 approaching 20 years is is a direct correlation between the companies that grow and succeed and the ones that actually proactively take their financial analysis seriously and, and really treat it as a skill that they take pride in rather than one that they actually get frustrated by. Mm. And and you look at you look at so many companies still to this day and, and they, they have these disjointed, messy processes where you've got effectively like a point dexter nerd, almost perceived to be a point dexter nerd in the background that's doing their, their accounting and their bookkeeping. They almost align they almost align their actual financial reporting with their bookkeeping. When in actual fact, you know, what you really want to be doing is saying, let's look at the historical data, process it do some projections and look at different scenarios and use that information to empower us when we make decisions. Yeah. So I think I think the the opportunity for a lot of companies and, and I think as as a lot of younger people that are more tech savvy than that than, than people were twenty years ago are coming through into into CFO and, and COO roles. You know, I think I think more and more of this is happening. But there are still a lot of companies out there that that you'll go to them, even turning over some of them turning over 10, 20 million dollars, particularly family owned businesses. 
um, and, and you'll just ask them for some type of clarity on their numbers and they won't have it. Mm. And it's quite extraordinary because, you know, they generally only feel like they need it when they need something from a third party. Yeah. You know, we, we, we deal with companies, huge companies that, that are looking at selling to home offices or, or Chinese investors and they're companies that are turning over 10, 20, 30 million dollars. And until they have a sales event come in and they want a third, they want to give numbers to a third party, they don't really build a proper financial model. They spend millions on accounting packages and they have someone sitting there reconciling numbers the whole time. Yeah, yeah. But they don't, they don't have anyone that can tell them, you know, what's our exposure to, to yeah. for example, exchange rates in this area and quickly and easily be able to run a scenario. And how would that affect evaluation if we floated or listed tomorrow or sold this business? And that's that stuff that they still rely on advisors for that, which which is fine. You need advisors ultimately to get deals done. Yeah. But but you should have more of a handhold on it before the advisors are called in. And that that's the opportunity I think a lot of companies are, are taking now that's that's differentiating them. Absolutely. And so what size company are you talking to here? What what size is a company when it hits the point of it really needing to get on top of these numbers and, and putting a strategy in place? Well, that's that's a, that's a funny question. I mean, I'm 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 really biased, obviously, because I mean, I've I've always joked around about financial modelling as equivalent to seeing seeing somebody naked. <laughs> it's sort of it sort of becomes a question: how how far into a relationship do you go before you actually want to see the person naked? And I, you know, I always wanted to see them naked pretty quickly. But I mean, in a, in in a, in a small business, in a small business, you know, your cash flow is unbelievably important to keep you going. Yeah. So I think a lot of small business owners they start up and they just look at their bank account and they're like, oh, okay, my cash is okay this month. Yeah. And then they go in. I mean, my brother works for himself and he regularly has to do tax plans with his with his with the ATO because he he pays himself out money to go and buy a boat and then realizes he's actually paid himself out his tax liability. Yeah. So so right from a small size, you know, you should be doing some basic planning. And the funniest thing is I would answer that question by saying the smaller businesses are when they start doing this stuff, the faster they grow. Yeah. And, and I'll give you an example of that. We we worked with back in the day we worked did a lot of work with grills. Now when grills started they had like eight or nine stores. You know, they were, they were a small company, a couple of guys started it. And then basically they, they started rolling out these, these, these burger chain, this burger chain. So they, they basically started opening new stores, but they really wanted to understand where do we open new stores? Why are some stores profitable and some not? And, and basically what times of the week and the year do we make more or less money selling which types of food? Mm. So those guys started doing really detailed analysis of where their business made and spent money. Um, and they use that to guide their growth from really, really early on. And, and so they started off with, with basic spreadsheets they built. Then they evolved into working with us to build quite sophisticated models that got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they eventually got to a point where they, they couldn't use spreadsheets to do it anymore, which is where you start paying millions for proper, you know, accounting packages and, and forecasting tools that are outside of Excel. Mm. So, you know, we still work with companies that turn over billions of dollars that still have a strategic planning model that sits in Excel that they can, that they, they literally massage on a daily basis. I think the answer to that more is it's not about size, it's more about mentality. Mm. And I think, you know, you look at our business, our business, you know, ranges depending on, on, on how big we, we, we're growing or shrinking at any point in time because we, we have a consulting element that's quite volatile. Um, but our business, you know, when we have 10 staff or 15 staff, we'll actually do capacity utilization by a staff member on projects and do a probability weighted pipeline. And we, we always know where our forecast three to six month cash position is going to be based on both a conservative case, uh, you know, optimistic case and a base case. Wow. And that means, and that means when I'm lying in bed at night worrying about cash, it's, it's because I've really done some analysis and gone, oh, geez, if that, if that project falls off and this project falls off, you know, we, we may not we not, may not have the cash coming in for the next few months. Right. So we've we've invented metrics for our business where we can say, okay, what if what if our three biggest projects and we have a whole lot of ratios on the dashboard that every month we look at it, we say, what if our three biggest projects were cancelled? 
because obviously our projects are just, they might be one or two $300,000 fee projects, but there's no guarantee they won't be canceled halfway through. So, so we try to run metrics that show that even if, even if our largest three or four deals collapse and we have no meaningful revenues coming in from, from a lot of other sources for, for a three to six month period, you know, how long before the cash would run out? Mm. And, we do it, and we do it based on a really detailed projection of financial statements, balance sheet, cash flow, GST, PAYG, payroll. So, so we can actually sit down and say, listen, you know, if we're not really busy for the next few months, we've actually got enough cash that we can use the staff to invest in a whole lot of new, for example, new modular content for our software. So for us, right from a, re- a really early stage, and, and again, we're biased, but right from a really early stage, we've had a really, really strong understanding of, of how our business works, what the cash is, and what it's going to be in three to five months. Mm. And so how do businesses get started in this area then? You know, if they, and, and, and I guess like, let's play two scenarios here. We've got a small business that at the moment, is um, is just using you know a financial accounting package and you know they have a bookkeeper and they see their accountant you know three times a year or whatever it is four times a year so uh, where do they get started and then let's let's look further at, at a bigger organization but let's start here with our smaller business where do they start yeah, so I mean, the, I mean, it's funny you say because I've got a friend who's who's started a business a few years ago with his wife, and they're they're selling um they're called Health Lab, and they're they're selling a whole lot of uh, basically protein balls and 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 organic organic food for everything from children just for people going to the gym to people who just want a snack, and they're um and they're they're growing fast. Mm. And what's funny is that before he started this, the the uh, one of the co-founders of his business, Matt, he was he he owned a, a landscape gardening business, so he's he's never really understood financial statements particularly well. He's he can use Excel to do basic projection, but he's doesn't really understand the difference between you know a balance sheet and why a balance sheet's important yeah. as opposed to just a, a PL, which to him is the same as cash. Yeah. So so at that point in time, at that point in time, the first the first thing to start doing is start understanding fundamental basic financial statement analysis. Yeah. So basically saying, okay, how why is why does the balance sheet exist? What, what is working capital and how can I how can I minimize my working capital risk in the business? You know, maximize my cash flow position. You know, one, and then obviously using your financial accounting package to to do more than just do your tax return, mm. and it's funny because most small businesses they use their accounting package mainly for tax and compliance. Yeah. But once you once you start looking at, it, we look at small businesses and we'll we'll look at their their zero or their QuickBooks or their MyAB accounts, and we'll say these accounts make no sense. Like if you guys actually looked at the structure of your accounts, you haven't broken anything out properly into into defined categories that are driver based by by region or by product, and you'll just have like two or three sales lines that just, just munch together. Mm. Um, and they'll say, oh, we haven't really done that. Our bookkeepers have. And then you'll speak to their bookkeepers, and they dare I say it, most bookkeepers they treat bookkeeping, accounting firms treat bookkeeping as as effectively at times as effectively just some horrible task they have to do, which is where <laughs> they make their base load revenues. But a lot of them don't realize that the bookkeeping is the foundation for a lot of analysis. Yeah. So. So, you know, we even even myself with my business. I when I was traveling last year, I realized that that I hadn't looked at my zero accounts for for one of my entities for quite a long time. And I went in and looked at it and just realized that I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. So we had to actually reinstate all the data in a way which enabled me to, to really easily export it into a financial model in Excel. And what's an example of that then? What did you do to the data in your business? Oh, so, so, so for example, I, we, we had sales. We had sales basically uh, as as three or four lines in terms of we just had sales by we had it by by two different types of our software subscriptions that we sell, uh-huh. um, but we hadn't broken them out by by region, and we hadn't actually done proper analysis of of, of different costings by 
by effectively driver. So we just we just had really a few operating expenditure lines, like for example, SGNA marketing, and then we had on, on on our revenues. Even though we were doing a whole lot of training and we started a new support business, we sort of munged it all. So so we got to a point where we had basically two software sales lines, and then we had like a support line and then other revenue. Mm-hmm. But then we started realizing the business had evolved over the last few years, so the support revenues were quite significant, and we also had cost lines that were that were related to, uh, for example, commissions to, to parties that we're working with that are actually selling software for us. Mm. So um, whereas we just put them through sales expenses. But what I started wanting to see is, you know, where are those sales expenses actually going? Mm. You know, which which country are they going to um, and we, which parties are selling the most? And because we just we just we really hadn't really set up a chart of accounts that reflected that the real drivers of the business, we had to really break everything out and, and retrospectively, I suppose, retrofit the whole chart of accounts. And that process, to be honest, was an absolute nightmare. Mm. So, you know, because suddenly you're looking at you're looking at numbers that come up as one number that you want to break out into three or four numbers retrospectively. Yeah. So you almost have to go through all the debits and credits in the system and actually reallocate them retrospectively. And at the same time, do it in a way which which doesn't mess up all your tax and your bookkeeping. So better to do it from the beginning, obviously, I can hear you saying here. That's the dream. I mean, it's funny. We pitch, we pitch to firms all the time with, with, with regards to financial modeling and it's funny like we we pitched we're, we're working with like i think four of the, the four of the top 10 accounting firms at the moment and they're, they're increasingly doing financial modeling but the biggest problem they have which I, I laugh at because they also do the bookkeeping is they call us up and they say you know we're trying to use your system to actually get numbers into into one of the models we're built using your software but um but but the data we've got is just terrible mm. and so we'll actually find the biggest hump that people have is going from from looking at the the, the, what is often the horror of 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 a, of a, of a zero account, and looking and looking at converting that into a beautiful driver-based categorized set of forecasts for an actual business, and then therefore, I think one of the first things that people need to do once they get the first thing you need to do is, is start understanding some basic accounting, and and that doesn't mean going and doing an MBA. It just means look at zero. You know, go watch some online videos, learn learn about what the P and L is, how it's different to the balance sheet and cash flow. The next stage on that is is start looking at the areas of your business. Where do you make money? Where do you spend money? Mm. And start working through the drivers in your business, and then start looking at whether your numbers in your in your accounting package are actually reflecting the way your business works as opposed to just your tax position. Okay, let's take a short break. When we get back, Michael talks to us about why business owners and advisors ought to look closely at the drivers of the business. And we also talk about how financial modelling works for service businesses. Michael then highlights how a good financial analysis brings into view some valuable data that gets hidden amongst other numbers. And finally, we close this episode out by drilling into the utmost importance of having a good and solid understanding of basic fundamental financial statements. And that's next. I'm Joanna Oki and you are listening to Talking Law, a podcast brought to you by Aspect Legal. Are you looking for a top quality legal team to assist you in your organisation? Aspect Legal is an innovative commercial legal practice that specialises in providing fast and professional services for their clients. Our commercial legal services cover a wide spectrum of disciplines. Contract law, dispute resolution, business sales and acquisitions, brand protection and IP. We work with clients both large and small and we're all about helping you grow while protecting you from the unexpected storms of business. If you'd like to chat about how we might be able to assist you, simply head over to our website at www.aspectlegal.com.au to book in time for a free discussion with one of our legal eagles. 
So get in touch today. Welcome back. Earlier, we talked about the opportunity for both business owners and advisors to businesses, like accountants, to differentiate themselves with a good financial analysis tools. Michael also emphasised how the smaller the size of the business is when it starts implementing this, the faster the business gets to grow. We then talked about how business owners can start by simply getting some good understanding of basic accounting. And just before the break, we also drilled into the biggest hump for business owners and accountants in this area. Now, let's pick up on our conversation with Michael and delve into the importance of looking at the drivers of your business. back to, you know, looking at the drivers of your business. So, and and if you don't mind, you know, I just want to make this really practical for our listeners. So, when you say looking at the drivers of your business, so when you went through that process of pulling out the data and, you know, reorganizing it, what's an example then of how you implemented the idea of the drivers of your business in the way that you categorized and then what you did with that data or that knowledge? A really obvious example is um, when I was over in London, I, I spoke... I got I got a call from a VC completely randomly who said um who said oh I've been I've been watching your business and we really like what you're doing we even tried the system and we love it there are a couple a couple of ex investment bankers that are now a part of a, a PPE firm mm. and they um and they basically came to me and said listen can you give me a whole lot of data about your your churn on your software subscriptions and your and basically which customers have been most sticky so they started giving me all these give me all these metrics that I realized are really powerful that I hadn't been doing mm. so for example they said to me what's the average life of your monthly subscription holders versus your annual and in different countries. So they were saying to me what they wanted to see was that, you know, the larger com- the larger company subscribers were increasing their subscriber numbers and also that they were they were like they were surviving with the with the with the software for more than three years. Because mm. he said the, the big risk with software as a services business is is you get a lot of people coming in and trying it, uh, kicking the tires and a lot of them will actually buy buy a one year subscription. Um, kind of like kind of like getting Netflix to watch watch one particular show, yeah. Um, and then and then they'll, and they'll drift off. So he said, you know what what VCs are looking for with SaaS businesses is is metrics that show minimal churn, growth in existing customers, and long term commitment to, to subscriptions. So I looked at my my zero data and I was like, I I know in my head which of these customers have been around for a long time, but mm. I hadn't really done numbers on. For, for example, my average subscription price. So what we'll often have is a large company will come to us and say we've got two hundred users. You know what can you do that for? And we'll um, and we'll negotiate with them, and we'll talk to them about what they're going to use the system for, how many people are going to use it, how frequently, um, and we'll negotiate a price that that we both think is reasonable. But as a result, the price for one customer with ten users might be you know twelve hundred dollars per user per year, whereas for a large company it might be three hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you know understanding over time. What's our customer comp- composition changing? How's it changing? Like, what's what's the average price we're selling at per user? So, have we gone from we've gone from a thousand users to five thousand users, and our revenue has gone from X to Y? You know, is this because we're moving into a bigger space with more discounting, mm, for example? Mm. But um, but that's the type of analysis where even now I'm not comfortable with the analysis I have in my own business because SaaS businesses are really complicated and there's lots of them. And even with a startup, it's hard because because you you sit there and you, a lot of them have monthly and annual plans and a lot of them have trial periods. And a lot of them, are, for example, monthly, you can roll off whenever you like. Mm. So being able to actually provide a convincing case as to where you're actually winning your work, where you're getting loyalty, and where you where you're getting churn, 
just even for, for a small software startup is absolutely fundamental to understand the um, effectively the, the burn rate of the business mm. because because you're really just forecasting your revenues in a, in a startup and then, and then subtracting your costs. But the same thing applies to, to a large company where, you know, in, in every sector, whether it's childcare, um, aged care, for example, and childcare are two huge sectors um, where there are really strong metrics in those sectors that are developing because they're, they're such big businesses that are used as the basis for analyzing everything from their valuation for an IPO right through to if you're actually going to buy a, a childcare center. You look at specific metrics about capacity utilization, you know, average average per day rates, et cetera. Yeah. And, and, that's, and, and property is another example where, where, you know, you need to actually really get on top of what analysts that look at your business look at and, and make sure that you you know more than them at any point in time. Mm. And what about service businesses? So, I, I mean, you know, one of your businesses is a service business, right? You've, you've got your SaaS and, and your consulting or service side. What what uh, what are the sorts of things that you're pulling apart and modelling? Uh, and it's, that's a good question. I mean, we we got quite obsessed with our business because we, <laughs> I mean, we've had, we've had, we've had quite, we've had an unbelievably volatile ride because we, we were 100% consulting business for our first eight or nine years uh, and then we flipped into software and started effectively burning cash on software so we're effectively sort of you know robbing peter to pay paul mm. and we and we and we started and we did that for many years because we didn't want to do vc so we had to we had to run the business really really well to not run out of cash because mm. effectively one one business we still had to pay bonuses we still had to ideally give a return to shareholders but at the same time we wanted to we wanted to cross transfer some of that profit to build the software so we wouldn't have to answer anybody because there's a real there's a natural hedge between the two businesses in that the software drive a lot of sales of consulting now and, and and vice versa so with with our with our professional services business we we got so obsessed with looking at capacity utilization and it's funny because the worst way you can build a model in my mind of a services business is you forecast revenue and then you assume how many start you, you forecast revenue and say here's my revenue for the next say 12 months and then you back solve basically what your staff cost would be based on a margin the reality mm. the, the reality with consulting businesses is it takes three to six months if you're doing something sophisticated like i mean the law firms are, are even more like this but with our mm. business it takes us three to six months to get to a point where somebody is is operating at a, at a level where we can put them in a client's office and they can help them yeah so you've, you've sort of got to factor in this the fact that when you when you get somebody up to six months the whole the whole analysis that assumes that when your revenues fall off you can just you can just reduce your 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 staff base cost and maintain the same margin ignores the fact that you can't just have a couple of bad months fire five or ten of your staff and then suddenly wow we've got a few big projects hire and hire and get people going because because yeah. you won't be able to service it yeah that's right I mean the love and hate thing that I have with with professional services which to be honest is one of the reasons why I've gone into the SaaS space to provide a buffer to the the storm that is professional services is that professional services is all about is all about capacity management and and training timetables mm. um, versus the the natural attrition of staff. So I mean with our business if if we don't have a structure that we've demonstrated over and over again technically that if we don't have a structure where we have at least two or three managers per director and two or three analysts per manager which is what we call sort of the the pyramid that, that works, mm. then um, then the company actually doesn't make a profit. Mm. On top of that, we've discovered that if the if the across the board at every level, so if anal- our analysts aren't, aren't being used at least sixty five to seventy percent of their time, they don't they don't make. That's where most of the profit is because they don't win work. Mm. So so they don't then make enough where you can't then pay your managers that need to be charging at least fifty five sixty percent of their time, and then you need your directors charging sort of forty to fifty, but then doing a whole lot of marketing and then out there doing other things like building the business and training. Training the staff mm. and then QA. So um, so we've done all sorts of metrics on on the on, on our business and and it's funny because I'd like to simplistically say we have an algorithm that tells us oh in three months we're going to have to hire three more staff or in two, <laughs> two, 
enough for it to go. But but what all we do is we 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 just we use it to look at you know a buffer. So so we we look at we now know that realistically a really good analyst within six weeks can be charging. Mm. You know a, a really average one will take three months. So mm. we often say well let's let's assume say a ten week lead time on the, on the next hire. If we're hiring, we have a recruitment fee. Let's put that through, and you put it through cash. But mm. you know what 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 the golden number with our business for years was was about sixty five percent, which mm. was that. Across the board, if you didn't have 65% capacity utilization across the board of all levels on average, the company didn't make much money. Mm. So, but, but the funniest thing is if you did 70 or 75, you just printed money. Yeah. So, so what, we, what we'd look at, we had this one line that we looked at for years when we were a consulting business, which was that, you know, how are we tending towards this this horizontal line? We'd have a, we'd have a timeline and we'd have a horizontal line that would have 65% in it and then we'd have our actual percentage and you'd show over time and you could actually monitor the cash coming in two or three months after every period where we exceeded 65% for a few months. Wow. And, and obviously, there's the working capital delay of getting the invoices in. But but that 65%, you know, we did some basic things where the type of metric that we used to run our business was if we drop below 65% for more than three months, we probably have to let go of staff unless we have some deals in the pipeline. Wow. And that's and that's the type of metric where you can quantify your decision-making really clearly. But mm. you can say, you can say, say to your business partners, listen, We've been at 58% for the last three months. Um, you know, you, you'll probably already see the culture of the firm dropping off because guys will be sitting there thinking, I'm not busy, I'm probably going to get made redundant. Mm. You know, and, and on the flip side, if you run people at 90%, 90% you you make a whole lot of money, but you get people leaving because they're exhausted. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's funny. That's that's the type of really detailed analysis that that I think a lot of smaller professional services businesses don't do. Yeah. But the big, one, the big ones, in, is, is, they do it obsessively. Yeah. I mean, you look at we, – we build a model of, of Investec, the investment bank, who's one of our clients – we built a model for them quite a few years ago that they still use, which actually analyzes every single staff member's salary, bonus, and then looks at basically the utilization of staff and what the different groups are bringing in terms of revenue and does a really detailed, <coughs> excuse me, does really detailed margin analysis on each of their different divisions. And they use that as a basis for all of their remuneration and all of their hiring policies wow. financially. They sit there and they'll say, you know, this this group is not making much money at the moment. Is that because the revenue is down or because the staff are being paid too much or we've got too many staff? Yeah. But the, we were amazed. They, this this model is an absolute behemoth, but they wanted to do it so they could actually look at specific people's contribution to the business profitability. Wow. And that's an and that's a big business. And yeah. they and they still run that now. So and, and I know that the investment banks do that as well because they're all fighting over the pie. So everyone's desperate to prove effectively. That's what the COO oversees. Everyone's desperate to prove that they've played their role in getting, you know, the record bonus for the year. So they should get the you know, record profit, so they should get a record bonus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's what it's all about, right? Accountability <laughs> and also greed. <laughs> two, two powerful things. <laughs> and then you you know, I guess I guess the other the the simple approach is what gets measured gets done as well in the organization right so if you if you're watching these numbers and just like you were saying you're watching with your um, utilization line watching I, I think the reality is watching any number closely will help you to improve that number I mean it has to right over time uh, so. and also and also being aware of the fact that that numbers can get hidden in amongst other numbers so I mean we um we recently had a couple of our senior guys um, one of our senior guys has recently left after about 10 years because we, we've been really moving towards the SAS model and we what we really needed was the senior you guys driving a lot of new revenues purely because we've got a lot of junior guys coming up that are now able to do the senior roles and they're a lot they're a lot cheaper so what, what you end up is in a situation where the senior guys aren't really bringing in a lot of revenue as the company grows mm. you know you 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 have natural attrition because otherwise the structure becomes top heavy mm. so we you know what what we noticed last year and we sat down as a group and talked about this it was all really friendly but what we noticed was you know our revenues our revenues were, were, were going up 
but but the contribution of of some of the people on the team was actually going down quite significantly wow. as as the business focus changed. So so you had a, you had a line that looked pretty healthy, but but then you know what what ended up happening was one of the guys that was really driving a lot of the growth in that line realised that you know his part of the business was growing at fifty percent, that the other that the business as a whole might be growing at twenty. And he's coming and saying, well, why, why isn't my bonus a lot higher? So he's turned around and actually put together a chart showing, listen, my contribution to the overall top line here has actually increased 50% in the last 12 months. <laughs> um, and look, and then, then you look at it more closely and realize that you actually have people that, that aren't con- contributing as much as they yeah, were. Right. And that's the type of analysis where you can look at a business and go, wow, that business is doing really well. What it could actually be is one business is doing terribly and one is doing astronomically yes. well. Yes. And as a whole, you're doing okay. Yes. And that's and that, if you don't if you don't detect that type of things, which which good analysis brings out, what ends up happening is your really good guys realize that they're not being appreciated properly. Because what happens is overall, the company won't do well enough to pay everyone great bonuses. Mm. And if you don't recognize where the money's coming in from, you don't pay the better people worse than you don't pay them better than the, than the people that aren't doing as well. Yeah. And then you end up in a situation where you lose your best people. Yeah. So you get stuck with the people that aren't performing and you end up merging into the, the worst performing part of the company. So it's, it's, it's really interesting stuff. And this is the whole seeing people naked type things. Like you can, you can put on a good suit, put on a good suit that, ho- ho- that hides your pot belly and get, get a fake tan and look pretty good. <laughs> but the reality, is, the reality is if you strip away the tan and take the clothes off, you pretty quickly realize who's been, who's been to the gym the last few weeks and who hasn't. <laughs> And that's and that's and that's what business is all about. It's it's working out where where things where things are working and where they're not. And that's what that's what that's what numbers do. You know, and the, the forecasts are only part of that. It's there's sort of the historical analysis, which a lot of companies don't do as well. Should should really be be driver based and back out. The perfect model looks at your historical data, tells you basically how your business performed on a driver based level, and then enables you to forecast using your your historical driver basis as as a realistic basis for forecasting. Yeah. Right? So. You know, most companies just just still aren't doing that, and, yeah. and the ones that and, and the ones that are and are performing noticeably better. They're killing it, yeah, absolutely. So, how do our listeners get started? Then, you know, what's the it, potentially this could all sound a little bit overwhelming because there's so much opportunity, obviously, in what you've been talking about. So, where where are the starting points for business? The absolute key, and I think I said this on our on our last in our last chat. The absolute key is, you know, you need to actually get your hands on some on some good financial models and. People People protect them like, like you know, they're, they're, they're God's gift to the world because because once you've got a good financial model, a lot of people just sell templates and make good money out of them. Yeah. So, but but that being said, you know, the world is changing, and as I said to you last time, we have we have a community now of users that communicate with each other, and, and as as businesses like ours that have where we sell software and make money, and as part of that, we actually help people. We help people by giving them content to learn how to use our system. Mm-hmm. And our system effectively, our system, you still need to know how to build financial models. So a lot of people, a lot of software is designed to take away the understanding. And that's, and that's for me, a major issue. People, people that actually want to know how to build financial models, you still need to be able to go into Excel and build what's called an integrated 3 model, a model which has a, a, an income statement, balance sheet, and cash flow. And you need to actually understand how that works. And, you know, we've got some training on our website that we give away for free. You know, it's, it's weird. We're, we're sort of motivated to do that because we make because if people get a relationship with us, they're, they're more likely to buy our software. Yeah. So it's kind of – it's one of the upsides of tech is that you get a whole lot of stuff for free that used to be really expensive because people are trying to – you know, they'll, they'll, give you a, they'll give you a free cab ride and if they can try and sell you a pizza while you're in the cab. <laughs> But that's, that's it. Someone said to me the other day, it's kind of weird. The whole world's got you, – you're sort of – you're being sold something. You're getting given something for free in exchange for someone reserving the right to try and sell something to you quietly on the side, which is, which is what you know the whole social media platform is, right? You sit yeah. there looking at Facebook and, and you really, you, you're, sort of, you're sort of being incepted with ads you don't even know it. You know, with <laughs> our right. business, we, we give away a whole lot of really powerful training and knowledge and examples, and we hope that you, you get impressed enough that you look at our software in the, in the process. 
Well, that's it for part one of our two-part series with Michael Hutchins of Madano. As a quick recap, today we looked at the differentiation opportunity for business owners and advisors to businesses in using the power of financial analysis to drive growth and strategy for the business. We also talked about how it's not the size of the business, rather it's the mentality that counts in getting started down this path. And I think that's an important point for all business owners in relation to viewing your business not so much from the size that it is today, but the size that you want it to be in its future state. And to get started in this area of financial analysis, Michael talked about how business owners really need only to get some education on some fundamental accounting analysis. We also identify the biggest hub for business owners and accountants, which goes back to how they do and view their bookkeeping. After the break, Michael drilled into the importance of looking at the drivers of a business and how financial modelling looks for service businesses. And finally, we talked about how a good financial analysis brings into view certain key data considerations that are often hidden amongst other numbers. So join us again next week for our final episode in this two-part series. In part two, we'll learn more about the new software that Michael and his team developed. This new system is a cheaper and more effective way to build financial models, which makes the power of good financial analysis available to more SMEs. We'll be covering that and a whole lot more. So if you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to Talking Law on your favourite podcast player to get notifications straight to your mobile whenever we release a new episode. Please also consider leaving an honest review and rating for us on iTunes because it helps us reach more people. So thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.